Well, hello, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, once again, we are rebroadcasting an archive show. This one was a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on the 11th of March in 2019. And we hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. everybody. Welcome to uh, Daylight Savings Time. Right, Chester? It's Daylight Savings Time. I know that because Chester was an hour late getting here today. He forgot to set his clock last night. Didn't you? Yes, you did. Welcome. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the old-time radio, or excuse me, this is the podcast where we play old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But everybody's welcome, and everybody loves these great old shows. As people are filing in tonight and filling up the seats, getting in out of the thunderstorms that we're having out there, and why not? We had snow last week. We we had a blizzard, practically. And now we've had thunderstorms, and uh, hopefully spring is right around the corner because it does look like the temperatures are getting warm. I don't think, Chester, we're going to see any more snow this year. I don't think. Anyway, we have a great lineup tonight. We have an episode of uh, the Jack Carson Show, which we've never played before. And I think you're going to enjoy it. We have a really intriguing episode of Nightbeat. We have a Gunsmoke we've never played before. And uh, we have a few other surprises along the way. So we want everyone to get comfortable, make yourselves at home, because we are going to get started with all these goodies in just a minute.
To get things started off this week, we are going to go visit that toddling town, Chicago, and meet up with Randy Stone, the writer of the Nightbeat column. Or is it the Chicago Star, I think? This one was first broadcast on uh, July the 3rd, 1950. And like so many episodes of Nightbeat, it's just got a really nice uh, combination of excitement and drama and a little poignancy. So let's go back to 1950, Nightbeat, and the name of this episode is Marty. Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. My stories start in many different ways. This one began with a kid and a hundred dollar bill and ended in the death cell of Joliet. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. It was a great night, chilly as I walked hunched against the rain, stopping long enough to catch the sweetness and light in the headlines. H-bomb menace, traffic toll mounts, murderers to die this morning in the electric chair. Okay, people, keep it up, you're doing fine. But I had my own worries, wondering where my ever-loving story had come from tonight. It hit me before I expected it. A little kid, six, maybe, came running at me and into me before I could step aside. Well, you better get those brakes relined, fella. Let me go, let me go. Okay, okay, where to? I, I'm on the way, I... All right, all right, now you get your breath for the second lap. They're coming after me. Oh, who? I want to go to my mom. I thought you were running away. I, uh, wait a second, what's this? My money. A hundred dollar bill? It's mine. Just a little loose change, huh? Please give it back to me. I gotta get a bus. Where do you live? I I want to go to 
16 Wolverton. Mm-hmm. Wolverton's quite a piece from here. They're coming. They're coming after me. Who? In their auto, see? Hmm. Looks like they're surrounded, kiddo. Take it easy for a second. It's him. You've been a bad boy, Marty. Running away like this. You ain't gonna take me back. Uh, you're a kid, mister? No. What's the angle here? The kid ran away from his old man. I did. My father's dead. Sure. He always says that. Now, come on, Marty. No. It seems he doesn't want to go with you. He will. Or maybe not. I'd like to Shut know Shut up. Eddie, back. Big boys. Yeah. Mister, you just forget all about this. Marty, get in the car. Get away from that kid. Eddie, Mac. Don't. Don't hit him. Don't. That's a sample. Open your trap again and you get the rest. Come on, let's go. Before my eyes closed all the way, I saw them hustle the kid into the car. It began to move away, glided under a street lamp, and from the rear window a face looked out. Jerry McCallum. The brains behind almost any illegitimate enterprise you could name. Nothing too small or too big for Jerry if it made a nickel. From what I saw of McCallum's face, he could have gone in right then for murder. Mine. A half hour later, after some minor repairs on my face, I dropped in to see Sergeant Kalski. I asked some questions, and I got some answers. McCallum had never gone in for kidnapping, and no cop would stick his neck out without positive proof. If I wanted to go slumming, I was going alone. It wasn't far to McCallum's place, but knowing where he lived and getting to see him were two different things. However, I had a hunch that Jerry McCallum would see me. I made sure of it by sending him a note with one word on it, Marty. McCallum had me shown in. He smiled at me from behind a marble-topped desk, flanked by two of his boys, one of them my playmate of a little earlier. Oh, he's glad to see a newspaper boy, Stone. You fellas print rough stuff once in a while, but it makes good for circulation, huh? True or not? Yeah, sure. You know, we uh, make up those things printed about you. Forgive us. So, what do you want tonight, Stone? For a starter, uh, ten minutes alone with lover boy there, the one on your right. Willie Bigger? Why? Guess. Now, Willie hasn't been... I know. Hasn't been out of your sight for a week. Fact, about 40 minutes ago, he was baking a cake. Okay, forget it. Good idea. Where's the kid? Marty? Yep. Do you like children? Yeah, until they grow up. They're nice people. The kid's none of your business, Stone. Yet I am curious. Along comes a kid with a hundred dollars. That all? Well, he took it. I I keep lots of dough around here and drawers everywhere. The kid grabbed some and beat it. Why? Because he wanted to go home? Did he say where? I, uh... No. No, he didn't. Okay, then. This is his home. What would you say if I told you he was my kid? Nothing. I'd be speechless. Stone, forget this whole thing. You've got nothing. Nothing. Whatever you're thinking is your idea, and that's as far as we go. That's as far as you go. Both of us. Now beat it. Don't crowd your luck. Okay. There's nothing I can prove, but it makes a good story. It's good reading. You got no finish to it. You know, Frank Stockton wrote a story once, The Lady and the Tiger. There's no finish to that one either, but it caused more comment that way. You're not scaring me, Stone. People can ask all the questions they want after tomorrow. After tomorrow? Mr. McCallum, why after tomorrow? I'm sick of looking at you. I'm even sicker of listening to you. Now, get out. Oh, by the way, Mr. Get out. Yeah, one thing more, though. 
A friend of mine, a cop named Kowski, knows that I came here. I'm telling you in case my back looks inviting when I walk out. So long. On the way down to the street, that tight feeling grabbed my throat, made my nose itch and my eyes water. I kept my shoulders hunched against a bullet or a knife, but nothing came. Why not? I asked that a thousand times before I hit the street. I knew I didn't scare McCallum when I told him about Kalski. McCallum had a million ways to rub out anybody who got in his way and a million alibis to keep himself clear. He'd done it before. But me, he let go. Why? He said, after tomorrow. He didn't want anything to happen until after tomorrow. I kept thinking and kept walking. And then something began to go around on the back of my head. McCallum tomorrow. McCallum tomorrow. And suddenly it hit. All about the electric ocean. Yeah, paper, mister? Uh, yeah, star. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice morning for somebody to sit in a hot seat, huh? Classy looking dame, too. Now, why fry something like that? There's a million dollars that you'd better burn. McCallum's girlfriend. McCallum's. Yeah, where you been, mister? Everybody knows that. Yeah, but you forget things when they're not uh, close to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, classy looking dame. Never think a doll like that a bumper husband, huh? Gonna fry it. Hey, mister, you sick or something? Or something, yeah. Bud, you ever get a great big hunch? Once. I lost. I might too, but it's worth a try. I grabbed a cab. I thought maybe some of McCallum's boys were tailing me, so I had the driver cut back and forth. Then, when I was sure we were clean, I had him drive to McCallum's apartment house and park down the street a few doors. Are this okay, mister? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Turn off your motor. Okay, but I gotta leave the meter ticket. That's okay. Now, listen, now, turn off your lights. Hey, why? Look, I'm Randy Stone, Chicago Star. Here's my press card. Okay, okay. What's up? You take this newspaper. What do I do with it? I pretend you're reading it. All right. You want a story? Yeah. Now, look, don't pay any attention to anything. You're just parked. You're waiting for a fare. You're reading that paper. Understand? I get it. What about you? I'll sit back. Think anybody can see me from the outside? Nah. Not if you sit in the corner. Nah. Okay. Now, just sit and read the paper. Okay. I guess this dame's gonna cook, eh? Uh, yeah. You'd think a big shed like McCallan would be able to get his doll off a wrap. Eh, but he didn't. I wonder. You wonder? Eh. Mister, at midnight she gets it. They pull a switch. Then, bzz, no more Lorraine Adams. Eh, ain't much to wonder about. Once hold they it, pull hold it, it in... Hmm? Hold it, pretend to read the paper. Hmm. Can you see? Yeah. Some guys are coming out. You see? Yeah. Oh, they're, they're looking this way. Don't look up. One of them's coming this way. Okay, start your motor. Start pulling up. Yeah. We've got to go right past him. You better squeeze hard against that back seat. I'm all right. Don't go too fast. You know, just as though you're cruising for a fare. Okay. It's okay. They ain't looking at us. Hey... Hey, Mr. Stone, did you see that thing that was... Yeah, yeah, get past. Then step on it around the corner. Mister, I ain't sure what I seen, but there was a dame just coming out of the lobby. I only got a quick look at her face. Yeah, yeah, so did I. What did you see? 
If that dame wasn't this doll in the paper, I'll buy a horse. Yeah, so we're even. We're both crazy. I saw it, too. Lorraine Adams. How do you convince a night editor you haven't suddenly walked out from under your head? How do you do it even when you've got proof of something that sounds and looks crazy? I listened to my editor, Matt Kamel. You're nuts, both of you. Stay in out of the night air. Yeah, but both of us saw. The driver... I got eyes. Yeah? You want to take any bets, either of you? Wait till that call comes through, Matt. When that call from Joliet comes through, five will get you a tax-free ten that Lorraine Adams is sitting in the death cell right now. She's not. All you've got is a yarn about a kid wandering around holding a hundred bucks in his hot little hand. There's no record of any kidnapping, any... Look, Uh, look. Lorraine Adams killed her husband because she was McCallum's girlfriend. You remember the trial? She pleaded not guilty, self-defense. Yeah, but it didn't stick. Public sentiment was against her. Yes, and no appeal. Nothing. Jerry McCallum didn't raise a finger to get her off. Why not? Why not, Matt? Couldn't, that's all. With his battery of high-priced lawyers and with his connections? Okay, okay. What's your version? That Lorraine Adams is free right now. I don't know how. I don't know what the kid Marty has to do with it, but... Now, there's the call, Andy. Hold your hat. Matt Kummel here. Okay, put it through. Randy. What? Putting up a fine? Oh, on the line. Okay. Now, uh, uh, hello. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, Stromberg, you're covering the uh, Lorraine Adams electrocution, aren't you? Uh-huh. Well, listen, this is going to sound nuts, but is Lorraine Adams still in the death cell? Oh, you don't say. Okay, CR, thanks. Uh, no, that's all. So long. All right, all right, Matt. Give. You know what I'm going to do with this five spot? Buy you a jacket with sleeves that tie in the back. What did Stromberg say? The Lorraine Adams execution is scheduled tonight as planned. The chaplain is with Lorraine Adams right now because at midnight, in uh, exactly two hours and ten minutes, she burns. Now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. In two hours and ten minutes, Lorraine Adams would go to the electric chair. What I saw and the cab driver saw right in the middle of Chicago, free as a bird. I checked some more after I left the office. The police went along with the gag and checked the prison. Yes, the girl in the death cell was Lorraine Adams. Her fingerprints proved it. Well, then who was the girl the cab driver and I saw? Was McCallum going to work a switch at the last minute? Fantastic. Sure, but McCallum might be able to work it. And how did little Marty tie in? What did a six-year-old kid have to do with it? Well, I had until midnight to learn a lot of things. There was only one place to start. 616 Wolverton, the address Marty had given me. It was a cheap boarding house. I had the driver wait. I knocked on the manager's door. It took three minutes to get her out of bed, and she wasn't happy. Oh, what do you want, huh? What's the idea, huh? Uh, Randy Stone, Chicago Star. I take a newspaper. You selling papers this time in the morning? Oh, no, listen to me, will you? Magazines all day, newspapers in the middle of the night. Here, take this and listen. Ten bucks? For what? Does a little kid live here? His name was Marty, about six, brown hair, cute little guy. Are you kidding? That was four or five months ago. But he lived here? With his mother. His mother? What did she look like? 
Ask my husband. Where did she go? Only one thing I can tell. She worked at a joint called, uh, uh, the, um... Oh, come on now, come on. The Blue Harrods. Yeah, I said, Blue Harrods. Your hat, sir? May I check it for you? No, thanks, honey. That clock behind you, is it right? Sure. It's only 10 to 11. The night is young. You want to bet? How long you been here? A year, maybe. Why? Well, I won't check my hat, but I'll leave this with you. For five dollars, you could leave a diving suit. Who do I kill? A girl used to work here. She had a little boy. A little boy named Marty. I don't remember. Oh, yes, you do, baby. Your face shows it. So I need makeup. You've seen the kid, haven't you? You knew his mother? Look, mister, I don't know anything that goes on. I check hats and coats. That's why Mr. McCallum pays me. McCallum? Oh, the blue heron is one of his spots. Oh, go away now, will you? Did you like the girl? She... She was a sweet kid. Well, then help her. She's in trouble. God, I don't know anything, but there was a guy, a knocked-out musician, trombone player. He, he went for her. Find him. Where? What's his name? Harry Aaron. He used to play here, but when Peggy left... Peggy? He... Yeah, Peggy. She... Hey, you don't even know her name. What do you want? Where can I find Harry Aaron? You get out of here. Beat it. Take it easy. Get out before I call the bouncer. With the clock getting ahead of me, I looked up Harry Aaron in the musician's directory. With only an hour and ten minutes left, I tried to find him. Yes, he played here, he played there. He was a good boy, but he was always high. I covered one spot after another, time running out. An hour left, 50 minutes... And then finally I hit a rooming house. One of those places where you stay up all day and all night. Anybody goes to sleep, he's a curiosity. There was a jam session going on and I headed for the music. Five boys were swinging high, but the trombone player was the one I wanted. Skinny, pale face over which hung perspiration drenched hair. I walked over to him. Hiya, Harry. Harry! Knock yourself out. Grab anything. Cut in. What do you play? Nothing. What do you drink? Nothing. What are you living for? Harry, Harry, come on off the ceiling. Can you hear me? I want to talk about Peggy. Peggy! What? What do you say? I want to talk about Peggy. You remember? What about her? What about Peggy? Let's get out of here, Harry. There's a coffee shop down the street. Hey, buy me a drink, huh? All right, all right. But come on, huh? Hey, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait. Yeah, listen to that beat, boy. It's like a train running inside. <laughs> and grab anything. Cut in any place. Peggy. Harry. Harry. Peggy. Uh, oh, you, you said Peggy. Harry, you gotta come with me. You've gotta talk. We got 40 minutes, Harry, and after that, it's kiss the boys goodbye. I made him drink coffee strong and black, and I made him walk until his head cleared up a little, but it took time. Time and only 30 minutes of it left before that execution. And then we sat and talked. What do you want from me? I'm knocked out, me. The top is all gone, inside gone. What do you want from me? Peggy, where is she? Why did she leave? Who are you? I'm Stone, Chicago star. Now listen to me. You remember Marty? Marty, sure. It's Peggy's kid. I got a picture of her right here. 
That's Peggy and that's Marty right there. Peggy? This is Peggy? Yeah. Dark hair, you bleach it blonde and she... Look, Harry, talk fast. I don't, I don't know what we'll get, but tell me when you saw Peggy last and what she said. She was going away with him. McCallum. McCallum, why? This one night after the show, she was in the line. She was, you know, the chorus. Yep. I, I went to see her. I found a packer packing a suitcase. She didn't tell me before that she was walking out. She just looked at me. Say goodbye fast, Harry. Real fast. Well, why, kid? What's all the rush? I can't tell you, Harry. Only you're not going to see me anymore. Oh, yeah, I get it. You don't, Harry. You don't at all. Sure, McCallum. I know. We talked a long time to you yesterday. It's nothing to do with McCallum. No, sure not. It's nothing to do with a knocked-out horn player either, huh? Oh, Harry. Don't talk like that. Okay, I'll play it for you sometime. Twenty choruses. I don't blame you, Peggy. I got a kid, Marty. I'm sick, you know that. Got maybe a year. Doc said so. What happens to the kid then? What happens to me? I could, maybe I. I ain't gonna have Marty eaten off trunk, crackers and milk three times a day. Now what's McCallum gonna do for him? Say goodbye, Harry. Please. You know I love you. You know that? Yes. It means nothing to you. For the love Harry, get out of here. Don't stand there just looking at me. I won't be able to go through with it. I won't. And I got a Harry. For my kid. That's all. That's all I know. When did that happen? Five, uh... Yeah, five months ago. Just before Lorraine Adams went to trial for murder. Now, what are you talking about? Look. This is Lorraine Adams' picture in the paper. Here's Peggy. Uh, See? Bleach Peggy's hair and she's Lorraine Adams. McCallum saw that. You're crazy, Stone. You're crazy. McCallum couldn't make the switch. He did it she before would... the trial. Lorraine Adams gave herself up a week after she killed her husband. But it wasn't Lorraine. It was Peggy. Crazy. It's crazy. No. Less than half an hour, Peggy will go to the electric chair in place of Lorraine Adams. Well, get her out. You gotta do something. Our only proof is Marty, but he's at McCallum's place. Stone, she's gonna die. You said it, she's gonna die. Stone, do something. Well, I'm going to Joliet to see the warden. You gotta do something too, Harry. Find Marty. <laughs> It's preposterous, Mr. Stone. Impossible. But it was done, Warden. And in ten minutes, a girl would go to the chair. Ten minutes. I've called the governor. He's left it up to me. Well, then stop the execution. I can do that only if this girl admits she's not Lorraine Adams. I've broken a rule, Stone, on the strength of what you've told me. The girl is being brought here to the visiting room to talk to you. And what if she doesn't admit? There's no proof. The execution is scheduled. Oh, where is that Harry? Warden. She's here. Bring her in, Chapel. Hello, Peggy. What is your name? I am Lorraine Adams. Chaplain, this girl is not Lorraine Adams. Didn't she tell you that? What she told me, I I cannot tell you. But in a case like this... I confessed my crime to him and to God. Yes, that you took Lorraine Adams' place. You were tried, convicted, sentenced, and you'll die. In less than ten minutes, you'll die. I am Lorraine Adams. You took her place. You gave yourself up in her place. 
That's why the real Lorraine Adams was gone for a week, to give you time to bleach your hair and... I killed my husband. You're killing yourself. For what? For Marty? For your boy? No, Peggy, no. Peggy, why don't you... There's nothing else to say. Look, you made a bargain with McCallum. What kind of a bargain? That you'd never see your son again? You only had a year to live, but in that year you'd have had him. Now, what did you leave him to? A vicious gangster who'll never keep his promise to you. You'll die, Peggy, and so will Marty. Oh. Yes, he'll die, too. As you know him, he'll be dead. Think what he'll be living with a rat like that. I'm Lorraine Adams. Lorraine Adams. Oh, Warden, I... I can't believe she'd lie now. She's facing death stone. She can't lie. But she is. For her boy, she would. She would. Mm. Uh, wait a moment. Marty! Let him go, Kim. Mom, I... I've been looking lots of places. Mom, it's me, Mom. You... You got different hair? No. Mom, you... You ain't mad at me. <laughs> oh, Marty! Marty, baby! <laughs> Harry brought me, Mom. He's hurt. Where is he? Out here, Mrs. Stone. Hiya, Harry. Hiya, Stone. I, I get here in time? Yeah, in time, Harry. Uh, that's real out of this world. How did you get McCallum? A long time ago, I, I bought a gun. I, I never used it until tonight. Warden. I'll get the girl. All right, Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Hi. Harry. Had a hard time trying to get in here. Take it easy, Harry. Sure. Peggy, I go... Oh, brother. Am I a knocked-out character? For sure. Love, L-O-V-E. Spell it one way, interpret it a hundred ways. McCallum's for Lorraine Adams. You're willing to wreck anyone else's life. Peggy's for Marty. Harry's for Peggy. Yeah, it's love that makes the world go round. It all depends on who does the spinning. <laughs> Copy, boy. <laughs> Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Russell Hughes from an idea by Bill Talak with music by Frank Worth. Those in tonight's cast were Lorreen Tuttle, David Ellis, Joan Banks, Peter Leeds, Rick Vallon, Herb Butterfield, and Peter Votrian. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. The preceding was transcribed. Tuesday, that's tomorrow, listen to the Penny Singleton Show on the Wheaties Big Parade.
Jack Late brings you a fund of interesting stories Friday on NBC. That was Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone, the writer of the Nightbeat column for that great Chicago newspaper. Wasn't that a good story? That was really good. A couple things in there. Um, the electric chair. You wonder if they still use the electric chair? Well, although the electric chair has been a symbol of uh, the death penalty in the United States for years, today it's not used nearly as much as it used to be. Uh, Some states still maintain electrocution as a method of uh, putting a, a prisoner to death, but today it's only maintained as a secondary method that may be chosen over lethal injection at the request of the prisoner. As of 2014, electrocution is an optional form of execution in the states of Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, and Virginia. Hmm. What a horrible thing. And you just don't think of too many women being executed uh, or electrocuted or executed. I remember that that movie, I Want to Live, was the story of Barbara Graham, who was an actual woman put to death in the gas chamber. Oh, well, anyway, let's get off that subject. Hey, when you were in school, did you ever have to read The Lady or the Tiger? Do you remember that? Randy Stone mentioned it in the uh, episode tonight. I remember that so well, and it was because of the ending. It, It was a short story. It wasn't a novel. It was just a very short story, and I remember most of... I had two or three literature books over the years that included that short story, it was written by Frank Stockton. It, it's it's a, a story that takes place, I think, in a mythical land, as I recall. It was uh, a land ruled by a king who had some strange ideas. One of them was on criminal justice. And uh, if a person was accused of a crime, he was brought into a public arena, and he had to choose between two doors, okay? Behind one door is a lady. Now, I'm I guess... The assumption is that the the criminal here, or the man accused, is always a male. But anyway, behind one door is a lady who who the king has deemed an appropriate uh, match to this guy, all right? And behind the second door is a fierce, hungry tiger. Now, both doors are soundproof, so there's no way to tell what's behind each door. Now, the idea of the kings is if he chooses the door with the lady behind it, he's innocent, and he has to immediately marry the lady. If he's guilty, he's going to choose the door with the tiger behind it, and when he opens the door, of course, he's going to be consumed instantly by a ferocious, hungry tiger. Well, now, to complicate the story, the king learns that his daughter, the princess, is in love with a young man. But this young man is below her station, and so the king can't have it, and so he has the man arrested, and he has to stand trial. Well, the princess, of course, is in a tizzy over this because this is the man she loves, and so she finds out ahead of time which door is going to have the tiger and which door is going to have the lady. Now, to further complicate matters, The lady that's put behind the door is someone who also has affection for this man. And in fact, it's the princess's rival for this man. You follow me? Well, now when it comes time for the prince to decide 
the princess signals him, you know, very subtly, take the right door. Then the story kind of goes on, as I recall, and, and um, uh, the writer starts summarizing the princess's state of mind. Uh, will she lose her love to death, or will she lose her love to marriage to her, her rival? Then the story ends that way, and the story with the writer saying, what was behind the door? Was it the lady, or was it the tiger? And of course, that is why it's become so memorable. It's because the question isn't answered. It has to be answered in the reader's mind. Lady or the tiger? I hadn't thought about that for a long time, but uh, Randy Stone mentioned it tonight. I've got a tiger by the tail that's plain to see. I won't be much when you get through with me. Well, I'm a losing weight and I'm turning mighty pale. Looks like I've got a tiger by the tail. Well, I thought the day I met you, you were meek as a lamb. Just the kind to fit my dreams and plans. Now the pace we're living takes the wind from my sails. And it looks like I've got a tiger by the tail. I've got a tiger by the tail, it's plain to see. I won't be much when you get through with me. Well, I'm a losing weight and I'm turning mighty pale. Looks like I've got a tiger by the tail. Coming up on the Comedy Corner this week is a show that we have never played on Boomer Boulevard before. It's the Jack Carson Show. And baby boomers are going to be familiar with a few people on this show. 
Jack Carson was a very popular actor, and uh, I can remember him in many, many movies. I always liked him. He played in a lot of comedies. A lot of times he was maybe third billing in the movie or fourth billing. Well, for instance, Jack Carson was in Arsenic and Old Lace. Remember with Cary Grant and with, um, oh, who was the fellow that used to play Abraham Lincoln? He played, Peter Lorre was in it. But who, who was the other? Raymond Massey. Thank you, Chester. Raymond Massey. Uh, so it might say starring Cary Grant, uh, Raymond Massey, Peter Lorre with Jack Carson. And he had those kind of roles. I remember in that particular movie, he played the neighborhood cop. And it was a, a very significant role. It was an important role in the film. And he was very good at it. But he did a lot of films. If you don't remember who Jack Carson is, Google him and look at uh, images. And, and you'll remember him. You'll, you'll you see him on Turner Classic Movies quite frequently. So we remember Jack Carson. Also in this is Arthur Treacher. He was a regular on the Jack Carson show. And Arthur Treacher, of course, for years was Merv Griffin's announcer on the, Merv, the old Merv Griffin show. And uh, we also remember Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips. <laughs> we also have Irene Ryan in this one. Irene Ryan, of course, played Grandma on the Beverly Hillbillies. And so there's a lot of interesting people that, go, that we remember as baby boomers. So here we go. This is the uh, Jack Carson Show. Now, you'll notice the format uh, uh, borrows a lot from Fibber McGee and Molly. Just notice that as you listen to it. Jack, by the way, plays himself in this. He plays himself as an actor, all right? And the name of this episode is Jack Prepares for a Film Role. So here it comes from January the 1st, 1947, The Jack Carson Show. Mmm, good. Mmm, good. That's what Campbell's soups are. Mmm, good. From Hollywood, The Campbell's Soup Show, starring Jack Carson. Yes, listen to Jack Carson, Betty Martin and his orchestra, Arthur Treacher, Jack's nephew Tugwell, played by Dave Willock, little nine-year-old Norma Jean Nilsson, Irene Ryan, and yours truly, Del Sharman. happens to be the birthday of little Norma Jean, who lives next door to Jack. And here, making arrangements for a small celebration, we find Jack Carson. Well, even if you did promise little Miss Norma Jean a birthday cake, why didn't you just go out and buy one, sir? Preacher, why should I buy a cake when I can bake one? There's one thing I do know, it's the art of cooking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Give me yes, sir. There's nothing wrong with my baking. I promised Norma Jean a cake, and I'm going to bake one. How old is she, sir? Nine years. Why don't you wait till she's older and her teeth have a fighting chance? <laughs> Very funny. You know, I, I learned everything I know about baking from my Aunt Mabel. The secret of a good cake is to test it in the oven from time to time by sticking a broom straw in it. Yes, sir. But you're supposed to pull the broom straws out again. <laughs> well, that last time I just forgot. Uh, had so many straws in it, we didn't know whether to eat it or sweep the floor with it. Never mind. If I remember it, the piece I got tasted like we had swept the floor with it. You don't have to worry about this one. It'll be my masterpiece, and I know that Norma Jean will love it. 
I'll make it big enough for nine candles, and I think I'll have Hi, to... Uncle Jack. <laughs> hey, what are you doing with that apron on? Hello, Tuggle. I, I'm going to bake a cake for Norma Jean's birthday. You're baking a cake? Yeah. Uh, with nuts and fruits like the last time? Uh-huh. And that white frosting on the top? That's right. Well, if anybody wants me, I'll be down at Joe's hamburger stand. <laughs> hear you fellas talk, you'd think I was the worst cook in Hollywood. <laughs> I said you'd think I was the worst cook in Hollywood. Oh, I think it's safe to include Burbank and Glendale, sir. <laughs> Preacher, it may interest you to know that in Milwaukee I had a job at a bakery, and they'll take me back any time I want to go. Well, that wasn't a bakery, Uncle Jack. It was a pretzel factory. Tug, well, nobody asked you to put in your two cents worth. I would, Master Tug. Well, did he really work in a pretzel factory? Uh, yes, yes, I did, but I, I had a very important position. Yeah, Uncle Jack was vice president in charge of sprinkling. Uh, <laughs> Tug, well, never mind. In charge of sprinkling? Uh-huh. You see, when the pretzels came by on the assembly line, Uncle Jack used to run up and down with the salt shaker. <laughs> I got $12 a week and all the crumbs that fell into my trouser cuffs. <laughs> Let's see now. I put in the baking powder and the egg white. I can't remember when I mixed that last batter if I used one yeast cake or four. It was four yeast cakes, sir. Don't you remember? When it started to rise, it took the canary's cage up with it. Well, that was an accident. You know, sir, I feel sorry for that canary. He's had so many misfortunes lately. If you remember last week, I smoked one of those Christmas cigars you gave me and all his feathers fell out. Yes, yes, they were pretty strong. But tell me, have the feathers started to grow back in yet? Oh, he won't be needing his feathers now, sir. I smoked another cigar, now he has hair on his chest. <laughs> Preacher, don't exaggerate. The cigar smoke might have made his feathers fall out, but it certainly didn't grow hair on his chest. It did too, Uncle Jack. I was out there this morning and he was singing baritone and chinning himself. <laughs> That, uh, that will be enough about the canary, Jack. Oh, Uncle Jack, I almost forgot. A delivery boy just brought this envelope. Hmm? Let me see it. Oh, it's from Warner Brothers Studio. It's a script, and there's a note on it. It says, due to the fact that we're behind on our shooting schedule, you'll have to work tomorrow. Please memorize your part in this script and be at the studio in the morning. Well, weren't you supposed to have the day after New Year's off, Uncle Jack? Yeah. Gee, this fixes everything. Now I'll have to spend most of today rehearsing. Well, what about Norma Jean and her birthday cake, sir? Oh, my gosh, that's right. Well, there's only one thing to do. I'll just call him and tell him I'm not coming in. Get the studio on the phone, Preacher. Yes. Why should I be the guy who always has to slave? I bet nobody else is working tomorrow. Well, don't weaken when you get him on the phone, Uncle Jack. You tell him off good. Don't worry, I will. I have the studio on the wire now, sir. Good, hand me the phone. Hello? Hello, Warner Brothers? Yes? What's all this nonsense about my having to work tomorrow? That's right. Any actor who has a call tomorrow and doesn't show up is automatically discharged. Who said so? Mr. Warner. Oh, yeah? Well, you can tell Mr. Warner for me that he can go jump in the lake. Boy, that's telling him. By the way, who am I talking to? Mr. Warner. <laughs> who is uh, this speaking? Oh, uh, don't pay any attention to me. I'm just having one of my tantrums. <laughs> but who is this? Uh, Betty Davis. <laughs> My goodness, Miss Davis, your voice sounds awfully low. Yes, yes, it's always a little hoarse uh, on Wednesdays. <laughs> well, uh, Miss Davis, if you don't feel well enough to come in tomorrow, it'll be all right. After all, you are going to have a baby. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I mean, I am, yes. <laughs> Look, Mr. Warner, I have a friend who doesn't want to come in tomorrow either. You know, Jack Carson. 
You can tell him if he doesn't come in tomorrow, he can take a salt shaker and go back to the pretzel factory. <laughs> Very well, Mr. Warner. I- I'll tell him. Goodbye, Mr. Warner. Goodbye, Jack. Claudia, <laughs> <laughs> like that he knew who I was all the time. Now, I'll have to study this script today. But, Uncle Jack, how can you? You promised Norma Jean she could spend the whole afternoon over here. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to disappoint her. It is her birthday, but maybe you can amuse her until I finish looking over my part. Well, what about this cake, Patterson? Oh, yes. Well, you, you finish it up, Preacher. I put in everything in except the four yeast cakes. Are you going to use four again, sir? Yes. Very well, sir. Shall I warn the canary or let him take his chances? <laughs> Please do what I told you to and put the batter into the oven. Yes, sir. Tell all the children who want to be fed, Mammy's gonna make some shortening bread. What? Clean up the pots, clean up the pans. Mammy's gonna make some... Just, 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 just... Just a minute, Mammy. You have to sing? Well, I thought it was quite good, sir. Do you you know who I was imitating? No. Now, think a minute, sir. Who is it who always sings shortening bread? Uh, you mean... Of course, L. Jolson. (laughs) I should have known that. Oh, there's somebody at the door. You go ahead with the cake, preacher. Come on, Togwell. We'll go see who it is. Hello, Mr. Carson. Well, it's Norma Jean now. Hiya, Norma Jean. Happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday, honey. So you're nine years old, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Mr. Carson, is a girl nine years old considered grown up? Uh, grown up? Yes, yes, I think so. Well, then I feel better about what I did yesterday. (laughs) What was that? I got engaged. Really? <laughs> who, uh, who did you get engaged to? Was it that Georgie who used, used to carry your books home from school? Oh, no. He's much too young for me now that I'm nine. Oh. Well, uh, how old is he? Eight and a half. <laughs> yes, I see what you mean. That is kind of a silly age. Yes, Georgie isn't serious enough. He still likes turtles better than girls. <laughs> Well, that's because Georgie is so immature. Now, when he gets as old as I am, he'll certainly know the difference between a girl and a turtle. <laughs> Not if he gets him in Griffith Park, where Yeah, he... that'll do, Tucker. <laughs> Mr. Carson, are you baking a cake for me like you said you would? Oh, of course, honey, but I have something to tell you. I won't be able to spend as much time with you today as I'd expected to. You see, the, the studio wants me to study a script. Does that mean I can't bring Jimmy over? Jimmy? Yes, my fiancé. You see, I want him to meet you for a special reason. Special reason? Uh-huh. If Jimmy and I are going to be married someday, I want him to grow up to be exactly like you. Well, you want him to, to grow up and be just like me? Yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Tugwell, this doesn't concern you. Uh, just, just what sort of boy is this Jimmy now? Well, he could stand some changes. For instance, whenever he takes a date to a soda fountain, he lets the girl pay for her own Coke. Well, gee, he's like Uncle Jack already. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, my boy. Well, I guess it would be all right to bring Jimmy over, Norma Jean. Of course, while I'm rehearsing, you'll have to be very quiet. Oh, we will be, Mr. Kyson. I'll go over to his house now and get him. Goodbye. 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 Well, I guess I ought to be getting at this script. I think I've got a big part here to learn. Hey, Uncle Jack, why don't you ever let me get a, uh, try to get me in one of those pictures out there? You know, i got a lot of talent I haven't used, used yet. Used, used yet? <laughs> 
a lot of words you haven't used, Jetty. <laughs> well, the reason I don't is that one actor in the family is enough. Just forget your theatrical ambition. Oh, gee, with a little coaching, I bet I could be a skinny Charles Lawton. <laughs> Listen to this. I learned it the other day. Oh, winter. Oh, cold and cruel winter. <laughs> Winter, you are a cold white giant with icy fingers. And I, I am just a brave little violet, peeping through the snow. <laughs> How can I last until spring? I must survive. I must. I'll never give up. I'll never give up. Uh, take, take my advice, Tug. Well, give up. <laughs> okay, okay. Gee, a guy could be a genius, but no one would ever know it around here. Oh, let's see now. I think my part starts here, here on page 12. Oh, yes, it's all marked. If I have any more interruptions, I'll never get started. Come in. Hello, Jack. Can I come in? Well, Dell, as a matter of fact, I'm terribly busy. You see, I'm, I'm baking a cake for Norma Jean's birthday and trying to rehearse a script, too. Yeah, well, I just came from the Rose Bowl, Jack. Say, those games certainly bring back college memories, don't they? Well, yes, yes, but Dell, I'm too busy to talk about that right now. Uh, Jack, you went to Carleton College, didn't you? Yes, yes, but Dell, I'm, I'm too busy to talk. Well, about I heard that. you were a big football star there, and I thought I'd like to hear about some of your gridiron experiences. Well, I'm too, uh... <laughs> you, uh, you would, eh? Well, yes, but of course you're too busy now. No, so I... no, no, Dal. On, on second thought, I just have time to tell you about one thrilling game that I starred in. I don't like to brag, but I was the greatest open field runner they ever had. <laughs> Swivel Hips Jack, they called me. Uh, Swivel hips? Yes, I, I was double-jointed, and there wasn't a tackler who could hang on to my hips. <laughs> Had to be careful, though. If I swiveled too much, my pants couldn't hang on either. Well, Jack, when you were in training, of course you remember to eat lots of Campbell's chicken soup. Huh? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, we always had Campbell's chicken soup. <laughs> well, sir, there we were. The score was tied, only two minutes to play. They snapped the ball to me. I took it. Uh, you were very wise to insist on Campbell's chicken soup, Jack, because they make their chicken soup the generous old-time way from plenty of chicken. Yes, yes. Well, I grabbed the ball and started running down the field. Five yards, six yards, ten yards. And remember, Campbell's use fine, plump chickens, too, simmered so slowly that every bit of deep-down chicken goodness gets into the broth. Five yards, <laughs> six yards, ten yards. I stiff-armed one tackle, and another one came at me. <laughs> yes, sir, for a cold winter day, there's nothing like a steaming bowl of Campbell's chicken soup. Five yards. Six yards. Ten yards. A tackle came at me, and I gave him one hip. And another one came at me, and I gave him the other hip. Well, I... well, you're not even listening to me. Why, sure I am, Jack. You just gave your last hip away. <laughs> well, there I was. Five yards. Six yards. Ten yards, Zach! Zach, do you mean that in all this time you've only gone ten yards? Don't forget I'm carrying a big, heavy football. <laughs> now, now a loud cheer went up from the crowds. Why? I finally started toward the goal line. The crowd was getting excited. They rose up like one man and yelled. And do you know what they were yelling? Yes. Mmm, good. Yeah. I mean, no, no. There I was, heading for the goal line. <laughs> yes, sir, and all your friends will say, mmm, good, too, when they taste that first delicious spoonful of Campbell's chicken soup. Yeah. Well, I'm heading for the goal line. Be sure to stock up on Campbell's chicken soup tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I'm heading for the goal line. Well, so long, Jack. If I can only get over that goal line, I'd be all right. See you later, Jack. Oh, dear. How do you like that? He left without hearing the end of the story. Well, I guess it's just as well, anyway. I found out later I was running the wrong way. <laughs>
Freddie Martin's contribution to New Year's Day, featuring Glenn Hughes and the Martin Men in Good Day. You are truly a vision to behold. Your eyes are like... Uncle Jack, who's going to play the part of Sheila in the movie? Well, well I'm trying to read the, over this script. How do I know who's going to play the part of Sheila? Maybe it'll be, uh, who knows, Anne Sheridan. Gee, well, you got to kiss her? Well, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> and I, I'm kind of glad I'm in this business, though. Just think, I kiss Anne Sheridan and I get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, but think what she gets for kissing you. <laughs> Dogwell, why don't you go somewhere and read a book or something? <clears throat> ah, Sheila, tonight you are truly a vision to behold. Yeah. Now what? Uh, come in. Hello, everybody. Well, it's Miss Ryan. Oh, Miss Ryan, come on in. Miss Ryan, it, it was very good of you to stop by, but you, you do find me kind of busy. You see, I'm, I'm sort of in rehearsal. What do you mean? Well, that's a theatrical term. You see, I'm just starting a new picture. Yeah, and he's going to kiss Ann Sheridan. <laughs> That's right. And so you see, Miss Ryan, I'm sort of, as we say, in rehearsal. Where's Miss Sheridan? She's in hiding. <laughs> <laughs> she is not. She's probably at home resting her lips. <laughs> tell me, tell me, Miss Ryan, how have you been feeling? Oh, I guess I'm about as well as could be expected. 
You know, I got lonesome down there in my knick-knack nook, so I thought I'd come over here for a few minutes. Well, Miss Ryan, did you ever think that maybe, well, that you wouldn't get so lonesome if you had, well, what I mean is, uh... I know what you mean. You're hinting that I should get married. Well, Togwell only thought that... I almost did get married once. I even got the man as far as the altar. You did? Yes. But just before the ceremony, my fiancé went into the other room to talk to the minister. What happened? I don't know. He never did come out. (laughs) I found out later it was one of those churches with an escape hatch in the back. (laughs) Well, those those things happen. But now, if if you'll excuse me, Miss Ryan, I've, I've got this script to study. Sheila... Tonight you are truly... Of course, I haven't given up yet. Just last week, I tried to join the Lonely Hearts Club. Lonely Hearts Club, yes. <clears throat> Sheila, tonight you are truly... I sent them a picture of myself in a bathing suit. And I signed it anxious. They sent it back and said, nobody could be that anxious. <laughs> well, that's, that's too bad, Miss Ryan, but I, I've got to get on with my reading. You go right ahead, Mr. Carson. I just came by to say Happy New Year and to tell you about my resolution. Oh, what's that? Well, I resolved that during 1947, I'm not going to complain about my aches and my pains. Well, that's certainly a good resolution. No, sir. Not even if I'm in torture will I mention my pain. Fine, fine. Like, for instance, right now. Right now, I have a pain in my shoulder, but wild horses couldn't get me to talk about it. <laughs> you're, uh, you're not going to mention it? No. It will always remain a secret between me and McClavicle. <laughs> well, thanks for coming by, Miss Ryan, and I'm, I'm glad you're going to be so optimistic from now on. So am I. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I'm sure it will be one of the happiest New Year's I ever had. That, Miss Ryan, every time she goes by a drugstore, the vitamin pills stand at attention. (laughs) Well, now I can get started in earnest. Sheila, Sheila, tonight you are truly a vision to behold. As I see you standing there, I recall that night in Vienna when you and I were waltzing on the terrace in the moonlight. Do you remember the violins? That haunting melody they were playing has been singing in my heart ever since. That melody. How did it go again? Preacher, preacher. Please stay out there in the kitchen. Well, I only wanted to report on the progress of Norma Jean's birthday cake, sir. I had a bit of difficulty. Difficulty? Yes, sir. I lost count, and I think I put in five yeast cakes instead of four. Don't tell me that when it rose, it took the canary's cage with it again. Oh, no, sir, no. With quick presence of mind, I managed to save the cage before it got tangled up in the dough. Well, then what's the matter? No, I can't find the canary. You mean... Yes, sir, I'm afraid he's somewhere between the third and fourth layers. Oh. Preacher, that's just ridiculous. That canary just can't be in the cake, though. He's probably flying around out there someplace. Oh, very good, sir. I'll go and look for him. Oh, where was I? Oh, yes, yes. Sheila... Tonight you are truly a vision. I don't see why you won't let me read Sheila's part, Uncle Jack. All right, all right, Thug. Well, here's a copy of the script. Right. When we get to the next page, you can read her part. Who knows, it, it might help me get into the mood better. Mr. Carson, I'm back again. Oh. Oh, oh, hello, Mama Jean. I brought Jimmy with me, too. Jimmy, this is Mr. Carson. Wow. Well, hello, Jimmy. Hello. 
Jimmy, is that all you can say? Well, he's probably a little shy, honey. You know, meeting a big movie star. <laughs> Are you a movie star? Uh... Of course he is. Don't you remember, Jimmy? He was in Two Guys from Milwaukee. Yeah. Mr. Carson was so good in it, I felt sorry for Dennis Morgan. Oh, thank you, honey. I, I guess I was pretty good in it. Did you really feel sorry for Dennis Morgan? Uh-huh. Uh, did, uh, did you see the picture, Jimmy? Yeah. I felt sorry for Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy has quite a sense of humor. <laughs> Look, honey, I'm, I'm still rehearsing, so why don't you and Jimmy sit down and pretty soon we'll serve some cake. All right. Come on, Jimmy. Sit over here and be very quiet. That's right. Now, <clears throat> where was I? Jimmy, I want you to watch Mr. Carson, because when you grow up, I want you to be like him. <laughs> uh, Sheila, come fly with me. Our love will give us wings, and we will flip through the garden of life, tasting the sweetness of the flowers. <laughs> you want me to be like that? <laughs> What do you want, a man or a butterfly? Uh, children, please, you'll have to be a little quieter. Yes, Sheila, we belong together. After all, what am I without you? Nothing. Just a little piece of nothing. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, I'll appreciate it if you'll keep your remarks to yourself. <clears throat> Thank you. Sheila, Sheila, you've come into my life and have changed everything, and I hardly know you. Tell me, just... Who are you? I'm a brave little violet peeping through the snow. well, Thugwell, that's not in there. Oh, I lost my place, Uncle Jack, and I'm ad-libbing. Well, stop it. Some household. One guy's a butterfly and the other one's a violet. Listen here, Mr. Jimmy Smarty Pants. If you don't like my friends, you can just leave any time. Okay, I will. Goodbye, and you can consider our engagement broken. Oh, but Jean, what did you do? Shouldn't have done that. Oh, let him go. After comparing him with you, I don't think I could like him anymore. Oh, that's awfully nice of you, honey. Do you really mean that? Oh, yes. Isn't life funny, Mr. Carson? I don't like Jimmy at all now, and last week I loved every brace on his teeth. <laughs> well, I... I hate to be the one to come between I the... I beg your pardon, sir, the clerk is served. Happy birthday, Miss Norma Jean. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Norma Jean. Gee, what a pretty cake. And it's got candles on it, too. Yes, I've already cut one side of it. Now, have a piece, everyone. Mm. Hey, that's good cake. I'll say it is. It's the best cake I ever tasted. Preacher, do you think it turned out so well because I put in all that baking powder? Or uh, because I used so much yeast? Well, son, I think this cake turned out well because I just had it sent over from Sierra's. <laughs> what happened to the cake I was baking? Well, sir, when it was finished, it didn't look quite right, so I thought I'd try it out on the canary. He swallowed one mouthful and stopped. Yes? That hair on his chest all fell out. <laughs> Mr. Carson, you're not going to do any more rehearsing, are you? Well, I, I really ought to. Aren't you going to sing that New Year's song you promised me? Well, I... Oh, go ahead, Uncle Jack. An actor like you shouldn't rehearse anyway. Hugwell, it's constant rehearsal that has made me the actor I am today. It is? Yes. You used to blame it on the Democrats. <laughs> I could think up a funny answer for that, but I want to sing this song for Norma Jean. It's called Pretending, honey. It goes something like this. 
Hearts are gay when they play at pretending. If you're blue, why don't you try pretending? After all, aren't we all idle schemers? What is life but a world full of dreamers? You're not poor, not when you're make-believing. So when you have blue moments to spend, close your eyes and you'll see how surprised you will be. If you just pretend. Jack Carson will be back in just a moment. You know, a sure way to get a winter supper off to a swell start is with fragrant steaming plates of Campbell's Chicken Soup. The family will love it, for it's made from the same sort of fine, plump chickens you choose for your own table. And it's made the same good way your great-grandmother probably made her chicken soup. The chickens are simmered long and slowly till the broth fairly glistens with chicken goodness, and every spoonful is filled with deep-down chicken taste. The rice is the firm, plump kind, cooked to perfection, and there are plenty of pieces of tender chicken meat for every plate. Mmm, good. Well, just sit down to big plates of Campbell's chicken soup at supper tomorrow... And hear what the family say as soon as they taste it. I bet you they'll be asking you to have it soon again. Mmm, good. Mmm, good. That's what Campbell's soups are. Mmm, good. Jack Carson, thanking you for making 1946 a wonderful year for us and hoping 1947 will be a wonderful year for you. See you next Wednesday. Good night. Mmm, good. Mmm, good. That's what Campbell's soups are. Mm, good. Tune in Robert Trout with the news till now. Every day, Monday through Friday, hear the program with the most complete news coverage in all radio. In addition to every leading news-gathering service, each day Robert Trout's own correspondents in world news centers send him first-hand facts, human entry stories behind the day's events. For complete, accurate, unbiased news, tune in CBS, 6.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Robert Trout with the news till now. Every night on CBS is the biggest show in town, so stay tuned for Dr. Christian following immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. I don't remember when Campbell's made plain chicken soup. Do you? I remember uh, chicken with rice. They mentioned rice in the soup. So I, I think they still make chicken with rice. I know chicken noodle, of course, the big seller. But I don't remember just plain chicken soup by Campbell's. Do you, do you remember, Chester? You do. You think you do. Well, anyway, that was the Jack Carson Show from January 1st, New Year's Day, 1947. And there's a few people in that show that I do not know much about. So we aren't going to talk about them. We'll talk about them next time. We, of course, remember Irene Ryan, granny on the Beverly Hillbillies, and she 
Uh, she was around for a long time, and she did a number of different radio programs in the early days of radio, and then, of course, went into television and even some into the movies. She's been gone quite a while now. She, she only lived to be 70. Also, Arthur Treacher. We, we talked a little bit about Arthur Treacher. Do you remember Arthur Treacher? It's funny, he had played like butlers and things in the movies for years. He was in like, he goes way back. He was in World War I. But he was on the, um, well, in, in a number of films. But Arthur Treacher, I remember so well from the Merv Griffin show. And interestingly enough, that he was on the show when it was in New York for CBS. And he was the one that, what did he say? Something like when he introduced Merv, he'd say, and now it's uh, Mervin, something like that. And he became very popular. And when the show went into syndication, when it left CBS, they wanted to get rid of Arthur Treacher because they thought he was too old. But Merv insisted on keeping him. He finally left the show when Merv uh, moved to L.A. to do the show from L.A. And he didn't want to move. He said he was too old for that. And he was afraid of earthquakes. <laughs> But he really did uh, capitalize on his popularity. And one of the things that he became well-known for was the franchise Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips. Now, no one really knows if he owned any of it or if he just got paid for his name. There was over 900 Arthur Treacher Fish and Chip restaurants. As of 2014, so that was five years ago, there was seven of those restaurants left. I, I don't know where. At Arthur Treacher's, please don't take our sign too literally. Our specialty isn't just delicious tasting fish. Our specialty is delicious food. Sure, Arthur Treacher's got famous for the original fish and chips, but we also specialize in boneless chicken and chips and shrimp and chips, even our own mouth-watering sandwiches. Come to Arthur Treacher's and let us cook you our specialty. The only thing we need to know is which one. Arthur Treacher's, we are something else. Remember that ad? That was from back around, right around 1970, I think. By the way, do you remember that song, Shortening Bread, that they were talking about in there? Oh, I can remember singing that as a kid, singing that as a kid. Well, anyway, that was the Jack Carson Show. I hope you enjoyed it. I have several episodes in my files now, and they're mostly all of really good, high-quality sound. So... We're going to give it a few more weeks. You know, we won't play one next week, but in the weeks ahead, we're going to give it a few more, see if we can get used to it and if we like it, and maybe it'll become one of the staples here. And I'll try to get a list of movies. We'll talk a little bit more about him next time we play one of his shows. Shortening. Mammy's baby loves 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 shortening. Mammy
love shortening bread. Read out of Lada, read out of Lada, read out of Lada. Slipped up the lead, slipped our pockets full of shortening bread. Stole the skillet, stole the lead. Well, stole the gills, make a shortening bread. Oh, mammy's baby, love shortening. Oh, mammy's baby, love shortening. Oh, mammy's baby, love slipping shortening bread. Shortening bread is always a thing out of the out They must have their brain. Caught me with the skillet, they caught me with the lead, they caught me with the gal and make a shortening bread. Paid six dollars for the skillet, paid six dollars for the lead, spent six months in jail, eat shortening bread. Mammy's little baby love shortening, shortening, mammy's little baby love shortening bread. Mammy's little baby love shortening, shortening, rip The Andrews Sisters and Mama's Little Baby Loves Shortening Bread. What is shortening bread? <laughs> Do you know? Well, I looked it up, and I still don't quite understand. They said it's really what, they, what they're talking about is shortbread. Now, I, I know that, uh, I, I know like strawberry shortcake, but this is shortbread. And they said there's very few, it, apparently they were, it was made on the plantations during the Civil War and that era. And apparently it's fairly easy to make. Chester, do you know anything about shortbread? You think they're kind of like biscuits? I don't know. I don't know if that's right or not. Maybe somebody out there that knows will send us an email and let us know. I've got your picture that you gave to me. Like it used to be The only thing different The only thing new I've got your picture She's got you I've got the records That we used to share And they still sound the same when you are here The only thing different The only thing new I've got the records She's got you
such a class ring that proved you care and it still looks the same as when you gave me the dear the Miss Patsy Klein with one of her big, big hits. Miles Laboratories, makers of Alka-Seltzer, bring you another visit with Fibber McGee and Molly. Again, we invite you to listen to the transcribed adventures of Fibber McGee and Molly. The show is written by Phil Leslie and directed by Max Hutto. Picked up this copy of Fabulous Adventures magazine down at Kramer's Drugstore, Molly, and there's a true story in here that just looks terrific. Mm, true, huh? Yep. It's about big game hunting, you know, in Africa. Mm-hmm. Well, you go ahead and read. I've got things to do. Will you hear the title of it, kiddo? It's called I'm in Love with Danger by John Courage, Big Game Hunter. Boy, don't that sound exciting? Mm, well, you go ahead and read it anyhow. I'm in love with peace and quiet myself. I won't bother you. Oh, okay. Hey, just let me read you how this story starts, huh? Oh, it's terrific. Well... Now, listen to it. It says... As I stood outside that thicket, full of lions, a lone hunter, with nothing between me and those savage beasts but my twelve trusty gun bearers and a mile of open ground, a strange feeling came over me, and I knew that I was in love with danger. Wow. Hmm. Strange feeling just came over me, too. Sort of a nauseous feeling. Oh, something yet, you think? Because you think if you had it... Grocery boy! Run your order, daughter. Just put them on the sink, Mr. Oldtimer. Already done it, daughter. Hi, Johnny. Hi. Well, I'm glad you came, Oldtimer, because the sooner you scram, the quicker I can read my magazine. So what magazine don't... is it, son? If it's Captain Billy's Whizbang, I've read it, so I can tell you all about it and save no, you. No, the... no, no. This is nothing like that at all. This is the new issue of Fabulous Adventures magazine. Oh, that one. Do you read it? Never heard of it. Well, it's a terrific magazine, and there's a story in here that just... Fabulous adventures, eh? Mm. Say, by jeepers, I ought to sit down and write a few stories for them myself, Johnny. Because if anybody ever had some fabulous adventures, I've had them. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, you're an unbelievable character. Now, if you'll just don't... Yes, sir, now you take the time me and Papa went big game hunting. Doggone it, I want to read my magazine, so... Big game hunting? You? And Papa? Yes, sirree. 
We had tickets for the big game between the Army and the Navy, you see, and we started out to hunt the stadium. Ah, oh, for But the... every time we'd pass a set of swinging doors, Pop would have to stop a while, and by the time we got there, the big game was all over, and so was Papa. How's your story coming, dearie? Interesting? Great, as far as I've read. Between fighting off that vacuum cleaner salesman and the phone ringing all the time, though, I've only read one page six times. Well, I'm through in the kitchen now. I'll answer the phone or the door. Boy, this sure is exciting stuff, though, Molly. Must take nerves of steel to hunt lions for a living, like this guy does. This is a brave man that wrote this story. From the samples you've read me, it was a brave man who published it, too. (laughs) I've heard of people being tarred and feathered for less than that. I'll get it, dearie. You go ahead and read. To yourself. 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee. Ah, hello, Mabel. I was just going to call you. Yes. Women don't really appreciate fine writing, I don't think. Oh, In the grass ahead, a hungry lion was waiting, and I, John Courage, big game hunter. Ah, for the... Molly, will you get the door, kiddo? I can't right now, McGee. I'm on the phone. Oh, the phone, the phone, the phone. Everything stops when the phone rings. I don't know what's so important about Mabel Toops that she can't stop talking long enough to... Okay, 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 I'm coming. Try to read around here, and all you get is interruptions. Well, good afternoon, Droop Snoot. Thought you weren't going to let me in. I didn't know it was you, Satchel Packer, or I wouldn't have. Come in, anyhow. I'd ask you to sit down and stay a while, but you're the kind of a guy that's just dirty enough to do it. I'm tired enough, too. I've had a day today that Oh, would... hello, Dr. Gamble. Sit down. Thanks, Molly. I was going to. It's been a rough day. Started off the day by losing a patient at 7 o'clock this morning. Oh, no. Oh, gee, that's too bad, Doc. Well, we found him again at 8.15. Huh? The ambulance had taken him to the wrong hospital. Oh, anyone we know, Doctor? Yeah, Mrs. Clatterhatch's little boy, Raymond. Automobile accident. Oh, that's too bad. What happened? He swallowed one. An automobile? Yeah, a toy truck he got in a box of Cracker Jack. Gulped it down, popcorn, prize and all. Hmm. Time we finally located him and had him moved to the right hospital, though... It was too late to operate on the little fella. Oh, Jiminy, that's terrible, Doc. You mean... Yes. He'd already coughed it up. Oh, for the love <laughs> of all the cornies. Cut out there. Ah, I tell you, it's been a very trying day. Well, I've had a very trying day, too, you big faker. I've been trying to read a story all day, and people keep busting in here interrupting me. So if you have to rush off right now, I'll hold the door open. <laughs> Knowing the danger that lay ahead, I turned to say goodbye to my faithful wife. Gloria, I said, that lion hiding in the brush ahead is a killer, a man-eater. But you know what I, John Courage, big game hunter, must do. Gloria nodded silently. Probably too embarrassed about this corny dialogue to say anything. Oh, gee whiz, Molly, this is the most dramatic part. Will you let me read it? This is exciting. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, where was I? Oh, yes, yes. No longer does he hunt game like other lions, I said. That vicious beast is a man-eater. I paused, then I handed her my rifle. Women he won't eat, I said. So go in there and get him, Gloria. Oh, brother. I hope Gloria took that rifle and beat the living daylights out of him. Did she go ahead and read me some more? What'd Gloria do to that? It don't say. Just says the following summer, after a brief honeymoon... My new wife, Penelope, and I headed for the jungle because... Saved by the bell. I'll get the phone, and frankly, I'm happy. 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. Oh, hello, Mrs. Bradley. 
No, not a thing. I was just sitting here. My new wife, Penelope, and I headed for the jungle, for there lay danger, and I was in love with danger. The natives greeted us with shouts of, Oh, no! That rat that... Molly! Oh, really, Mrs. Spradley? No, I didn't know that. Molly! She does? I always thought that red hair looked a little phony, but it's the best dye job I ever saw. McGee, will you get that door? I'm on the phone. On the phone, on the phone, on the phone. I hope the house never catches fire while she's on the phone, because I'd never get her out of here without having to stop... Well, hi there, Mr. McGee. Oh, hi, Les. Uh, come in. Were you busy or anything? Because I don't want to... Oh, no, 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 I'm not busy. All I'm trying to do is read a very exciting story that I've only been trying for three and a half hours, and I've already read almost four pages, too. No, I'm not busy. Are you mad? No, I'm not mad. I'm just a little disgusted, that's all. Come on, come on, sit down if you have to. That's okay. Well, It's just uh... that I got a terrific story here, and every time Molly gets on that phone, I can't get her off to answer the door or anything. Well, you just go right ahead and read now. And I'll, I'll just sit here and I won't make a sound. Well. All I wanted to do is ask Ms. McGee if Sally could borrow her cookbook. So I'll wait. You read. Well, gee, thanks, Les. Uh, I'd sure like to know how this thing comes out. I'll sit over here by the window. Read uh, and, and don't you worry about the door. I, I'll get that. Come in. Uh, hello, Mr. Oh, well, Lester Nelson. What are you doing over here? Come in, Mr. Wimple. I'm just visiting. Uh, we best talk kind of soft, see, because uh, Mr. McGee's trying to read. Oh, hello, Mr. Wimple and Lester. Sit down, the both of you. How do you do, Mr. Thank McGee? you. I, I just had to tell somebody about the exciting bird I saw. McGee, don't sit there with your nose in a magazine. We have company, dearie. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to be any trouble, but the most exciting thing... You won't be any trouble, Wallace, not at all. Sit down there, boy, and tell Molly all about it. Come on, Les. I'll get the cookbook for you. Sally wants to borrow your cookbook, kiddo. If you don't mind, Miss McGee. Oh, she don't mind. I'll get it for you. Well, come on, Les. There's a little favor you can do for me. Uh, Mrs. McGee, have you ever seen a spackle-crested vireo? Because I was out this afternoon. Yes. Yes, that must have been very exciting, Mr. Wimple, to, uh, to a bird watcher. I'm still just all a tingle. My, I'd love to tell Mr. McGee about it, but, well, it's been over an hour, and I'd really better go on home, I guess. Well, I know he'd have loved to hear it. Maybe he can... Oh, McGee! Oh, we'd better not. McGee, Mr. Wimple has to go now. Molly, please! I'm on the telephone. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought maybe If you... anybody comes to the door, you get it, because I am on the phone. Yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. Oh, it says, <clears throat> As the savage land charged, the frightened natives ran for their lives. But I did not move, for I, John Courage, big game hunter, was unafraid. Wow, what a guy. Bracing myself against the topmost branches of the tree, I took careful aim at the lion's back and fired shot. Gee, that, that was just terrific, Les. I knew I'd get that story read some way. Well, thanks a lot, boy. Well, that's okay, Mr. McGee. <laughs> that sure was a good one, all right. I'd sure like to borrow this magazine and read that story to myself someday. Sure, that's okay, anytime. Oh, well, McGee, McGee. Molly, please, don't you know I'm on the phone? 
Oh, I'm terribly sorry, dearie. Just wanted to tell you dinner is ready, but if you're busy... I'll dig you later, Les. Bye. I thought that'd do it. <laughs> oh. Well, so long, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye. The Old Timer and Mr. Wimple are played by Bill Thompson, Dr. Gamble by Arthur Q. Bryan, and Les Nelson by Robert Easton. This is John Wall saying, see you all tomorrow. A little bonus for you there from February of 1956. That was Fibber McGee and Molly, one of their 15-minute episodes. The name of that one was Fibber Tries to Read a Story. Now. No! You know what that music means. Yeah, that music means it is time for us to travel back to the Old West. We're going to Dodge City, Kansas. The year, 1874, 1875. We're walking up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're going to run into Doc and Kitty and Chester and the whole gang on this episode of Gunsmoke. This is a good one tonight. It features Sam Edwards in a really good role. Also Vic Perrin and John Daner, along with our normal cast of William Conrad, Georgia Ellis, and uh, Parley Bear, and Howard McNear. And what we've got tonight is an, uh, an episode that was first broadcast on CBS on the 15th of April in 1956, and it's entitled The Executioner. And this is a, a somber episode tonight. I think you're going to enjoy it. Gunsmoke. 
Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. this fellow riding in, Morgan? Mm, he's a stranger for sure, Abe. Mm. That brand on his horse, I can't even read it. Good horse, though. Yeah. Get down, stranger. Who are you men? Well, we're the Curry brothers. We own this ranch. How far is it to Dodge? 60 miles, if you ride in a straight line. I want some green for my horse. Where is it? Look, stranger, we got no grain. We're fresh out. Now, Abe, if he wants a little grain... Then he can act more polite about it. Oh, mean I've been polite enough for you? Maybe I ought to change my ways just for you. What are you, anyway? Some kid who thinks he's a man just because he's wearing a gun for the first time? Mister, I've been wearing a gun eight years, ever since I was 16. That makes you 24 and still a kid that ought to be taken out to the shed. You aim to take me out, mister? Somebody ought to. A lot of men have tried. I guess it's your turn now. Go ahead, you're wearing a gun. Oh, now, we won't have any fighting. You watch your temper, Abe. The kid don't mean nothing. The name's Tom Clegg. I ain't a kid. All right, Clegg. Forget it. You too, Abe. Well... Say you're sorry, mister. Say what? You heard me. Are you crazy? Maybe this will help you. Now draw. No, Abe. Abe, don't move, mister. You killed him. You killed my brother. Well, he hardly got his hand on his gun. Why don't you try me? Abe wasn't no gunfighter. Neither am I. Then I'll tell you what. You practice a little. I'll be in Dodge for a spell. Come see me. Oh, now, say, there is a good-looking horse, Mr. Dillon. Oh, which one, Chester? That big bay that young fellow's just getting off of there. Oh. Well, ain't he? Well, I wasn't looking at the horse, Chester. Oh, you know that fella? Yeah, maybe. What are you people staring at? Aren't you Tom Clegg? What? 
Matt Dillon. At Las Cruces about eight years ago, wasn't it? Exactly eight years ago. I've changed some since then, Marshal Dillon. Yeah, I'm a Marshal. Uh, this Chester Proudfoot, Clayton. How do you do? Hello. Oh. Well, Marshal, I suppose you're remembering how I didn't dare draw on that fellow in Las Cruces. You were smart not to. He'd have killed you, sure. I left there. I went out by myself. I practiced for two years, every day. I got pretty good with a gun, Marshal. Did you? That fellow's dead now. I went back and I killed him. Yeah, there wasn't much of a quarrel, Clegg. I don't need much, Marshal. Oh, I've killed a lot of men since then. But don't you worry about me. They always draw first. Are you telling me you've turned gunman, huh? I've got me a pretty fair reputation in New Mexico. And now you want to be known in Kansas. That's why you came here. I didn't say that. I know you're kind, Clegg. I ought to. I've killed enough of them. <laughs> Not me, Marshal. You ain't gonna kill me. I'm too fast for you and I'm too smart. I'll show you someday. Oh, Chester. Chester, I'm coming, Mr. Dillon. What was it you wanted? You all threw out there? Well, I'm through to one of us tries to open that back door again. I guess it won't never get fixed properly unless we just build us a new... Oh, Morgan Curry. Ah, right, come on in, Morgan. Hello, Chester. Where's Abe at? It's about Abe. I come to see the marshal. Uh, is something wrong, Morgan? Marshal, you've known me and Abe a long time. I sure have. Would you say I'm a man who tells lies... You know the answer to that, Morgan? Then I'll say it short. A fella rode up to the ranch day before yesterday, and him and Abe got into a little argument, but Abe was about willing to call it off when this fella slapped him. And Abe went for his gun, huh? He never had a chance, Marshal. This fellow was the fastest man I ever seen. Did he say his name, Morgan? Tom Clegg. Yeah, I thought so. He's a killer, Marshal. He made Abe draw. That's what he means about being smart. No man can take being slapped. That ain't self-defense, Marshal, and he can't claim it is. The law says he can, Marshal. Look, Marshal, I ain't a coward. You know that, but there's no use my facing him. He'd kill me easy as he did Abe. Now, what good would that do? I wish I could help you, Morgan. Well, it ain't just me, Marshal. It's all the men he's going to kill before he's through. Somebody's got to stop him. Somebody will. Someday. Now, before he kills any more men. It's like poisoning a wolf. Don't you see that? Morgan, I'm a lawman. When Tom Clegg breaks the law, I'll go after him. But until he does, there's nothing I can do. I don't know if you're fast enough for him, Marshal. But you're the only man I do know who might be. I'm not hired to gun men down, Morgan. He's got to be killed. Well, I'll admit the world would be better off without him. You said something about his being smart. Now, he claimed that. And we'll see how smart he is. Marshal, Tom Clegg's going to die, no matter what. He's going to die. <laughs> Thank you.
another beer, Matt? No, one's my limit, Kitty. One? Oh, you're expecting trouble. I didn't say that. One beer said it. <laughs> you know me too well, Kitty. But you're right about my expecting trouble. Well, I already knew about that. I've watched Morgan Curry following Clegg in and out of here for two days now. I don't know what Morgan has in mind, Kitty, but I'm sure he doesn't plan to shoot Clegg in the back or anything like that. Well, he isn't even carrying a gun. Yeah, I know. He just stands around at a distance and sort of keeps an eye on Clegg. It's driving him crazy. But Morgan's not carrying a gun has made Clegg helpless to do anything about it. Maybe he's trying to get him into a fist fight, Matt. Ah, Clegg wouldn't fight him, Kitty. He knows he'd get torn apart. Uh, beats me what he's up to. Well, I wish Morgan would go home and forget about it. Maybe it's you he's trying to shame, Matt. Me? What for? Uh, for not doing anything about Clegg murdering his brother. It wasn't murder, Kitty. Dave drew first. The way I heard it, Clegg made him draw. And I don't care what the law calls self-defense. Well, I have to, Kitty. I have to care. Yeah. I know, Matt. Well, there they are. What? Clegg. He just went to the bar. Morgan will be along directly. Yeah. Well, you keep an eye on him, Kitty. Me? Keep an eye on him? I got to ride out into the country tomorrow. I'm leaving before dawn so as I can get back early in the afternoon. Well, then you better get to bed. Good night, Matt. I'll see you tomorrow, Kitty. Sure. Marshal! I want to talk to you. I'll go ahead, Clegg. Talk. It's about him. What? Oh, Morgan. Hey, uh, Morgan. What are you calling him for? You want me, Marshal? Yeah. Clegg here wanted to talk to me about you, Morgan. I thought maybe you ought to hear it, too. Sure, he can hear it. I want him to stop following me around, that's all. Oh, why tell me that, Clegg? Because you've got to stop him. Me stop him? He isn't breaking any law. He ain't wearing a gun. A dirty coward. There's no law that a man has to wear a gun. It's making me jumpy. I don't like being stared at all the time. You got a guilty conscience about something, Clegg? You shut up. Why don't you take your gun off and shut me up, Clegg? You hear him, Marshal? You see what a coward he is? I can't help you, Clegg. Lock him up, Marshal. Go on, lock him up. You heard me. <laughs> yeah, I heard you. Then do it. Not very likely. All right. You're wearing a gun. Are you a coward too, Marshal? Uh, Morgan, come outside. I want to talk to you. Okay, Marshal. You're both cowards. That's what you are, cowards. Why didn't you kill him in there, Marshal? That was your chance. I'm not a gunman, Morgan. I'm a lawman. Won't you ever understand that? Maybe I'm beginning to. Look, Morgan, it's no use. I'm not going to fight Clegg. Now, you can't use the law for your own revenge. That's not what it's for. Now, why don't you forget this and go back home? Marshal, do you think I'm a coward because I won't put on a gun and let him kill me? I don't know what to think, Morgan. You seem to be doing all the thinking these days. My brother Abe was murdered, Marshal. He was murdered. I'm sorry, Morgan, but there's nothing I can do. Now, good night.
Oh, where is everybody, Chester? Why is the town so quiet this afternoon? Everybody's seen you riding in, I guess. Huh? They've been waiting for you to get back. Waiting for me? Why? I told them you'd be back early afternoon. There's trouble here this morning, Mr. Dillon. You mean a shooting? Yes, sir. Morgan? Yes, sir, it was Morgan. Yeah, so he put on a gun after all, huh? No, sir, he was unarmed. What? He ain't dead, though. At least not yet. He's up at dawn. Where's Clegg? Clegg must have saw you ride in, too. He's standing across the street now, behind you there. Ah. Well, I won't keep him waiting. I hear you shot another man, Clegg. He deserved it. Did he? I warned him about following me around. It drove me half crazy. So you stopped him? He slapped me. No man can take that. No, not even his brother Abe could. <laughs> Say, I plumb forgot about that. You told me once how smart you are, Clegg. I guess you forgot about that, too. What do you mean? Morgan was unarmed. You gonna try to put me in jail, Marshal? Mm-hmm. I'm going to try. Now you're forgetting. I also told you I'm too fast for you. Maybe you are. I'm arresting you, Clayton. Keep your eyes on mine, Marshal. I want to see the look in them when it hits you. That's the best part. Now? the shots, Matt. I see Clegg still lying there. Not if he's got any friends that can move him. I doubt if he has. A man like that. Uh, I guess not, Doc. You did it the only way possible. I was trying to arrest him, Doc. I didn't walk out there to shoot him down. How's Morgan? With two bullets in him, he's doing as well as might be expected. No meaning what? He's dying, man. Yeah. Now, let's go see him. Matter of fact, there's no reason at all he should have lived this long. I can't understand it. Most men would have died on the spot, shot up the way he was. Morgan? Marshal, I heard some shooting, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Was you in it? I was. And Plague's dead, huh? That's how you wanted it, wasn't it? That, that's how I wanted it. It's what I've been hanging on for. Morgan, you knew he'd shoot you when you slapped him, didn't you? I had him on edge, Marshal. Planned it that way. Yeah, I thought so. And you were willing to die just to get me to face him, huh? There wasn't no other way. I couldn't have killed him myself. 
I can't say I admire your thinking, but you're sure not a coward. He murdered my brother. He murdered me the same way. But we got him anyway. Didn't we? Didn't we, Well, he... He was right. He won. Even if he had to die to do it. Yeah. But you know something, Doc? I feel like a hangman. He made an executioner out of me. And I don't like it. I understand that, Matt. I... But you'll forget it. You'll forget it. In time. Yeah, sure. One more thing to forget. William Conrad. On the frontier, bands of marauding Indians weren't too uncommon. And next week, during an attack, three people are killed. But not by the Indians. And that was the West. Good night. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Ray Kemper and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Sam Edwards, Vic Perrin, and John Daner. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke. April the 15th, 1956. That was an episode of Gunsmoke we have never played before on Boomer Boulevard. The name of that one was The Executioner, and it was originally heard on CBS. If you love Gunsmoke as much as I do, just stick around week after week after week, because every week we play an episode of Gunsmoke.
falling in love again Never wanted to What am I to do? I can't help it Love's always been my game Played out I made I was made that way I can't help it Cluster to me like moths around a flame And if their wings burn I know I'm not to blame Falling in love again Never wanted to What am I to do? I can't help it Chester tells me we are all out of time, so we're going to wrap this thing up. I want to thank you, though, for stopping by. You always make it so much more enjoyable to listen to these programs because uh, being together just, just makes it more fun. Next week, we'll be back with the Archive Show. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new show, and we look forward to having you come back then. Remember, you can uh, sign up for the podcast and have it delivered right to your email address. You can have it on Google Play or on Stitcher or iTunes or what, wherever you get your podcast, please do sign up. All right, this is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. <laughs>